Hi, welcome to Offscript. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Today on the show, a bit of a new setup. If you're watching uh, our video for format on YouTube or Facebook, uh, we, we, we are covering uh, some films, of course, but I just want to say really quick, if you're joining us over there, pardon our dust, if you're listening to the audio version of the show, you don't know what we're talking about, come check it out. Change some things up. It's not so bad. Uh, our first uh, movie this week, we're talking about Blue Beetle. Uh, of course, DC's first foray into the DC universe as headed up by James Gunn is out. We have seen it. We're also going to talk about Old Boy, Park Chan-wook's Vengeance Classic from 2003. The 20th anniversary re-release is out in select theaters all over the country. It's a 4K remaster. We went and saw it. We're excited to talk about it. And yes, keen fans of the show, remember, we have talked about it before on off scripts a bit of a return excited to talk about it again uh also uh, a bonus review this week a movie i didn't plan on covering but i watched it and i thought maybe it'd be worth talking about here and he hasn't seen it so it's going to be a solo uh red white and royal blue on amazon prime uh i watched the movie i'm excited to talk about it it's, it's actually actually not bad so stick around for that uh we need to talk about some new trailers some things coming out it, it, it's a, a jam-packed show this week and before we get to all of it we got to talk about the news our first story this week, uh, Apple sued over Tetris by Gizmodo editor, who alleges the film stole his book uh, about the Soviet game. Smaller story this week, uh, but Andy found this. Uh, Andy, what's going on here? So, like you said, Dan Ackerman, who's the editor-in-chief at Gizmodo, of all places, uh, alleges in a lawsuit that the Apple TV uh, stole his, his idea of, uh, of the Tetris movie that they made. Um, it turns out he, in 2016 or so, sent uh, a manuscript to Tetris Company in order to, you know, try to get a film or something made. They actually t- did not engage with him. They didn't have any meetings with him. They sent they sent him a cease and desist letter. <laughs> so it's not exactly like anything was off the ground. Now he's saying, "Oh, Apple made this movie. It's that's basically based on my book." And now he wants to get collect, you know, damages uh, from it. Uh, the reason I wanted to talk about this, though, is that this kind of thing happens a lot. Disney gets sued all the time for their IP. They've been sued, I think, at least three times over Inside Out. Uh, different uh, book writers say that they came up with the idea and they were in talks with Disney and then uh, Disney stole their idea. Uh, the problem with this is that if you publish your work, like if you have a manuscript or uh, a novel or something, as soon as it's published and in the public space, you can't really claim that your idea was stolen because you're allowed to be inspired by, you know, by media, books, TV, film. And unless that company cites it specifically, uh, you're not going to win this. Uh, if if Dan Ackerman had had private meetings with Tetris or Apple TV and they were discussing, yeah, we want to turn this into a book or into a movie or a series, and then they, you know, then they just cut him off and then just make it anyways... Something like that, but you could kind of have to have substantial meetings with a, a, a publisher that's really interested, and you cannot publish that work at all because um, you usually like lose your deal. So this kind of comes up again and again, and it's just it's it's generally silly, and and the, the law always sent tends to side on the the side of the studio. Yeah, I mean it's it's a tough bag to try to grab, right? Like even if you feel like you've got them, you know, by the tail and you watch a movie and you feel like, "Oh man, this is lifted right out of this thing that I wrote or this thing that I made a while ago." 
Like you're suing Apple, the biggest company in the world. Um, <laughs> not to say justice shouldn't be served, but like, I mean, this guy's going for a settlement, right? Well, what is he hoping to do? Unseat Tim Cook and take the throne? Like, no. Like he just he just wants a piece of the pie, and like I totally get that. I'm sure this is the kind of thing where you go for it and you just hope that their lawyers are going to settle, right? It's easier to just write you a check for twenty five thousand dollars or something and tell you to go away. Um, hopefully he doesn't feel like this is his life's work and like he's genuinely been robbed because I think it's so difficult to prove, right? You're, you're, you're spot on. Like when you're talking about something that's functionally history, it would be really challenging to say that Apple didn't also do their own research. Apple films, I should say, or, uh, Marv Productions who produced the film from, uh, Matthew Vaughn actually who's worked a lot with Taron Edgerton in the past, who is the lead of the film, um, it's tough to say, and and you're right. Disney runs into this a ton. They do. They've run into it for years, right? Like, didn't stop them. They don't seem to have a problem with it. Uh, but hey, maybe my man will get his 15 minutes, right? Uh, maybe he'll get his, his his. Maybe he'll get the bag. More importantly, that's why a lot of times um, studios they won't even open the mail. Like, if you send them a manuscript or something, they're not even going to open it because they have to be able to say we never saw it, we never put put our eyes on it and the fact that the tetris company sent him a cease and desist letter like no we're not interested in you at all please stop sending this mail uh doesn't bode well for him mm. speaking of things that don't bode well uh there's a price increase happening for a couple of your favorite streaming services uh from disney yes the house of mouse themselves uh disney plus and hulu will both be going up three dollars dude i'm so bummed <laughs> I'm in this economy, to both of these services. Yeah, I'm subscribed to both of these services. That's a six dollar hike if you're on both of them, like me. I'm thinking of dumping one, but I watch stuff on Hulu right now, and and Disney's about to roll into the holidays. And I like watching Halloween Town in October and Christmas movies, and like I'm, I feel I feel like they got me over barrel here, Andy. I don't like it. Like what what is this about? Oh, well, like you said, there's a big price increase coming. Uh, Disney Plus is jumping from. Eleven dollars to fourteen dollars, and this is without the out without ads versions. Hulu without ads is going to go up from fifteen dollars to eighteen dollars. Uh, but what they really want you to do, there's a little bit of a reprieve here. Uh, the price for the, a bundle of Disney Plus and Hulu uh, will be t- it'll be eight dollars if you if you get the ad the version with ads. So eight dollars for both. That's kind of a deal that is with ads. If you don't want ads, the only problem with this is like if you don't want ads, the bundle is twenty dollars, but it does also include ESPN plus. But there's no kind of like there's no middle ground. The, it, the studios were doing this. They had like a, a an ad tier, like kind of less a fewer ads, and then so that but now they just kind of have two tiers. They have the ad supported tier, which is generally pretty cheap, and then the no ads, which is a lot more expensive. I'm really disappointed by like the uh, audience response Netflix and Disney and the like uh, streaming services, I should say, uh, are getting from these kind of price hikes because they don't get enough of a dip in business to stop doing it or certainly roll it back. Um, Additionally, like they seem to have decided that they stand to make more money from ad supported content than uh, people paying individually for non ad supported content. Um, And that bums me out because I like the Internet without ads. It's really great. And that's a harder thing to get now. Like it's it's harder now than ever before to watch stuff without ads because companies are starting to figure out ways to get around ad blockers or they're trying to incentivize you right with some kind of like short payment system. It bums me out. I, I don't want to watch these services with ads. I like watching them without ads. I'm also not a sports guy. So, yeah, like I don't go for the ESPN Plus. So, yeah, it's going to be like $16 for both of these, which is uh, not awesome. Like really, 
<laughs> really not excited. Um, I don't know. There's, there's, that's that's kind of the kit and caboodle. It's not Disney's only move, though. They're also cracking down on password sharing. I think Andy might have mentioned that in there, but uh, a separate story. Yeah, Bob Iger says, yep, uh, on Hulu and Disney Plus, we are exploring ways to halt password sharing. Shout out to Netflix, who kicked this off a few months ago by kicking off password like pa- anti-password sharing things in the U.S. It was very successful. Yeah, they didn't lose any money, so the, everybody's going to do it. Yay! Yeah, no, no sharing passwords with your friends. Well, I'll be on cable again soon. Can't wait. Uh, what do you think, Andy? Well, you know, it was shown to be successful in the Netflix model. Uh, they did lose some subscribers, but they had net gain overall. And so we, we, as predicted on this show, that other studios would follow suit. And sure enough, uh, Disney is going to be doing it with Disney Plus, Hulu. Those are the main ones they have, uh, you know, unfortunately it works. And so they have, you know, there's no incentive to not crack down. I do think this will be the thing that gets me to kick one of these services. Like I (laughs) obviously I'm okay with getting my pocket picked, but I draw the line and not being able to share with friends and family. But really, it's a great value, like to be able to have Disney Plus and every member of my family can watch it wherever they're at. My sister in Colorado, my parents in Houston, whatever. Like, that's really nice. You know, even even Christine's family can watch it. Um, now that's not a thing. Now, now all that value is extended to one household, my own. And suddenly I'm not as incentivized to keep paying on months I don't watch because I'm the only one who can engage with it. Like, if I don't watch Disney Plus for two months, well, OK, fine. My sister's been watching The Simpsons over there. Great. It's getting some value, right? Like, I feel like my dollar is being spent in a way that is important to me. Um, cracking down on password sharing t- takes that away. Like, suddenly it doesn't matter as much, and I don't get as much stretch with, like, what my dollar can do. So I, I-, I don't like this either, naturally, right? Like, I don't like the money. I don't like it costing more, and I don't like seeing more ads. Andy, Andy what do we do? What- what's the answer? Oh, man. I it's I, We're just going to have to see how hard they crack down. Yeah. How you know if there's any backlash? We have to see, have to see. Um, they don't have have an option to add on like um, you can add on a member on with Netflix. You can add on like an additional up to two family members for uh, a smaller $7? fee. Seven like, dollars. Yeah. Yeah, but they're not offering any of that with <laughs> with this um, crackdown. Yeah. <sighs> I don't know. One more thing from Disney. Uh, VFX workers are voting to unionize at Marvel. I I can't believe this is actually happening. This has been a thing that's been talked about uh, for months, uh, years, actually. Uh, VFX studios have been reportedly very mistreated by Marvel. Some have been blacklisted. Some have been uh, uh, lowballed. They've they've had bidding wars to see what studio is willing to, to kneel the deepest to get a Marvel project, right? Um, and it seems like finally VFX workers who are underwork, overworked, underpaid, skipping weekends, working nights, holidays, uh, they might finally get their moment in the sun here. Um, obviously, following SAG after strikes and, and, and the writer's strike in Hollywood, seems like, um, I don't know, there might be some action. What do you think, Andy? This is a, a historic moment. Uh, this is the first time that... Um, VFX professionals have kind of banded together to unionize and they're going to be part of the uh, kind of larger um, union representing over 170,000 people that work in the industry. So it's an exciting time and it's nice to see them kind of band together in a moment of solidarity. Yeah, I I think um, it's evident 
has a great stat in here from Vulture. Uh, around 90% of all films in release feature varying degrees of VFX fine-tuning. 90%. This this is like if the, the, the companies that made cameras started unionizing. Like, the, the potential effect this could have on the industry is vast and deep. Um, there are so many VFX shots in films. Most of, most of the good ones you don't even notice, right? It'll be like a backplate for, like, a scene, you know, scenery shot or, like, some, some kind of landscape in the background where they just add, like, buildings or clouds or whatever. But, like, it, it all falls into the same bucket. Like, talent, artists that deserve to be rewarded for their work. Um, yeah, I think it's a great time to strike it up. Yeah, like seeing what sag after and the writer Strikers are doing, what's happening over there, the kind of action that's getting moved, uh, or in action, whatever. Um, what better time, right? UPS just got a W doing their union thing. I know a bunch of their drivers got some stuff now, including AC in their cars. Huge win for UPS. Um, who knows what's possible? Like, doesn't, doesn't seem like a bad thing to me, I don't think. Yeah, th- this is part of what, you know, the, the other, the ongoing writers and, and actress strike is is hoping to do to leverage their labor into power to make changes in the industry. Mm. One more thing about changes in the industry before I move into Blue Beetle, because I know we're running long on news here. Uh, movie theaters are doing $4 ticket day this Sunday. Yeah, this Sunday. If you're listening to this show, uh, on the day it goes out, 22nd, uh, August 27th, Sunday the 27th is National Cinema day yay we should probably do something for <laughs> national cinema day it's only the second one though right like it's they're still getting off the ground yeah this is a, a new kind of manufactured holiday from a nonprofit uh, organization called the cinema foundation uh they started it last year to uh just try to raise, raise awareness to go to see movies in the theater um and they had dis- dis- steeply discounted tickets last year four dollar tickets four five dollar tickets huge hit Everyone like went out in droves to the movies. They're doing it again, like I said, this Sunday. Um, and it's supposed to be for any showtime and kind of any format. I doubt things like IMAX are going to be $4, but um, everything else. And to me, if you get the $4 like premium, because usually the premium times, like 6, 7 p.m., those are usually the ones that are they jack up the price a little bit more. Um, so really cheap if, if you're going to go out this Sunday. And they're kind of re-releasing a few films. Like I saw that uh, Lady Bird's going to... Uh, which is Greta Gerwig's 2017 film. That's going to get re-released. Uh, American Graffiti, Jurassic Park, um, The Little Mermaid Sing Along, as well as as things that are more current, Barbie, Oppenheimer, the new Gran Turismo movie, et cetera, et cetera. I think one of the things that's interesting about this, uh, speaking of unionizing, is is a bunch of different movie companies, like theater companies, coming together to run this promotion all together, which is crazy. Like AMC and Cinemark joining hands, right? Like Regal Cinema getting a piece. I don't believe it. Even some smaller ones jumping in on the National Cinema Day train. Uh, it's hard to believe, right? Like that these companies are so often competing are willing to join up but it's for good reason uh when they ran this last year they saw a 101 percent uptick of uh movie ticket sales over the weekend just crazy they made 23.6 million dollars last year when they did national cinema day so now everybody wants a piece yeah like uh older uh, films that just came out are coming back into theaters for the weekend super mario Bros. movie disney's running little mermaid sing-along uh i saw a couple places you're gonna you can go see a couple like a24 features out again everybody wants a piece of national cinema day and like good right what why not why shouldn't we have a day when we all go to the movies i don't know why it seems to have moved uh last year was september 3rd uh, this year it's august 27th i hope they settle on a day that's a little bit more memorable right like i don't yeah, know labor year, day it, right? like yeah 
Yeah, last year it was over Labor Day. It's surprising that that's not this same day. But August, late August is a weird time because it's back to school, uh, both, you know, public school, college, uh, people aren't going to the movies as much. It's a weird time to release stuff. Studios don't really want to release anything new because it's just people aren't going to the movies at this time. So this mm-hmm. is a great time to have something like this where you just re-release stuff you already have or just came out. Uh, it's a good, good incentive, and you're not dropping a new movie to an audience that isn't going to go. Four dollar tickets, take advantage. All right, this Sunday, get out and get, get get out and get after it. And hey, tell you what, if you're listening to this episode after Sunday and you're thinking rats, I missed it, you can still go to the movies anyway, right? Like it's not, it's not, it's not, it's not that bad. The average ticket price is uh, what about eleven dollars now, which is up a bit from 2019, last time uh, the National Association of Theater Owners recorded it. But you know. Movie, movies aren't so bad right now. There's certainly some good stuff out in theaters, which is, uh, I think, a fantastic segue. It's not fantastic, but it's a fine segue into talking about films uh, this week. I'm going to be taking the summary on the first one. Uh, the movie is Blue Beetle. So Blue Beetle is the story of uh, Jaime, who is a uh, recently graduated student of uh, uh, Gotham National University. Gotham <laughs> Thank you, Andy. Gotham University, uh, who arrives back home uh, to the Florida Keys uh, to discover that uh, things are not great with his family at home. Uh, very loving family, very sweet uh, cast of characters, including George Lopez as his goofy uncle. Um, and when he tries to get a job at a local uh, corporation, Cord Corp, uh, that's when he comes in contact with a mysterious blue scarab, this uh, kind of artifact, almost alien kind of thing. Uh, that suddenly, uh, without warning, grabs a hold of him and 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 uh, fun- functionally possesses him uh, and becomes a part of him and turns him into uh, the Blue Beetle, a mighty superhero with all kinds of powers, almost a little Green Lantern esque. You kind of cook up whatever you can imagine in your head. Um, that has the ability to produce stuff and is is adorned in this uh, blue suit with these arms coming out the back. Almost kind of looks a little like a beetle. Uh, but of course, uh, you know, like any good superhero movie, it doesn't all come, it's not all sunshine and roses, and soon uh, that evil corporation is after the Blue Beetle, they want that scarab back, and Jaime has to use his wits and his new tech, and of course, the uh, love of his family, to figure it out. Uh, the movie is Blue Beetle, it is the DC uh, Universe's first new feature, according to James Gunn, excited to talk about it, Andy, what'd you think? This was a lot more fun than I thought it was going to be. I wasn't sure what to think going in because this was originally supposed to go straight to HBO Max. Um, and then w- when David Zaslav took over as, as CEO, they wanted to really push for th- theatrical releases for their movies, not do straight to streaming films. And so this Blue Beetle got a buff in some money. Uh, so it's it's a little bit of a mixed bag. You get stuff that looks highly polished and, and theatrical, and then you get some stuff that looks like TV movie. Uh, but the movie works better than I, I kind of anticipated. It has the family element is a big part. It's almost more like an ensemble piece. It's w- it's a lot funnier than I expected it to be. Uh, I'm not a big fan of George Lopez, um, but he made me laugh a, a number of times, so I had to g- give that to him. Uh, it's got some issues, but uh, overall, I enjoyed it. Yeah, I, I think I'm in the same boat. I, I liked it. I've liked it more since I've gotten away from it. Um, I'm a little disappointed how it's doing at the box office, um, but I think I can explain 
why it's not doing so well. I think it made what forty three million dollars uh, this opening weekend, which is not bad for like a. It's not bad for any movie, but when your movie costs like two hundred million to make before marketing, you you gotta turn out a bit more of a profit. Hopefully, it'll do better in international waters. Um, but I think uh, the things that work great about about Blue Beetle are the hero. I think Blue Beetle is actually a lot of fun. Excited to talk about him, like. Um, much like I said, like a Green Lantern character, uh, interesting set of powers, like interesting set of abilities. Uh, the cast is fun. Uh, Zol- newcomer Solomar Maraduena. Uh, I, I <laughs> real quick, a lot of pronunciations this episode. Andy and I were talking about it in the pre-show. <laughs> I, I, I'm gonna struggle. I'm sorry in advance. I, I want to give credit where it's due, though. Uh, Solomar Maraduena is great. He's really, he's really funny. Big charisma. Very good at screaming. A lot of wailing from this kid, but like a good, good cinematic scream. Like he's, he's on it. Along with uh, our, our family is good. I like our setting. Uh, it's kind of futuristic, Florida. Like there's these big towers and holograms and stuff. And like that's actually kind of neat. Like it's not just modern day. We're actually pushed forward a little bit. Um, but the thing I don't like is is that our story is is so so tragically wrote. If you have seen one superhero movie, you have seen this superhero <laughs> movie. Like it, it it's yeah. too paint by numbers. It's too safe. It's a shame. Like I, I it's a it's a it's a director I'm not familiar with. It's a cast I'm not familiar with. It's a hero I'm not familiar with. And it just they just stay in the lines a little too much, and it made it a little, a little boring boring for me. But I want to talk about what works first. Andy, what do you think? We start with our cast. We start with our setting, our plot, our hero. Where do you want to go? Let's get in with our cast. So uh, Solo Maraduena plays Jaime Reyes, uh, who's about post-college age. He's a lot of fun. He does the role. It's a good mix of like, oh, my gosh, what's happening? I'm a superhero. And then also having to take on the responsibility. You know, with great power comes great responsibility. Uh, He's pretty funny. He's likable. I think he comes from Cobra Kai is his uh, claim to fame. Mm. Uh, which I have, which I haven't really watched, but like I said, it's an ensemble piece, and the family, unlike Fast and Furious, the family element is actually really important. Um, one of the plot elements is that the the family is in danger of losing their home because of gentrification, and uh, when Susan Sarandon's character comes after uh, Jaime to get get the scarab back, she ends up uh, kind of doing a raid on on their home and tragedy ensues but the family has to come together so you have th- this funny cast of his sister uh, milagro uh, his uh his nana reyes rudy played by by george lopez and they c- they end up coming along for the adventure um and they have a bigger role than you would think and they work a lot better than than you might think they do but but it's again it's part of the family element he because he he's young he's unsure family helps him kind of find his purpose and then confidence and that works a lot better than than i i would think yeah the general silhouette i think for Jaime reyes is a little tom holland spider-man right like young kid uh he, he's just graduated college just a few years ahead of tom holland but um you know like figuring it out uh, but the difference i think the biggest difference between him and and spider-man is is his family right like his his roots and that's an important part of it like they are all important cast um they're all pretty funny george lopez like he, listen it, like he will deliver a line and you'll either roll your eyes or laugh at it but like that's not a bad <laughs> thing in a movie like this uh so he's 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 fine brutal hair extensions though god it's terrible in this movie <laughs> 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 they, they did Rudy so dirty, man. Like, my God. Um, 
I I I think I did, was not a big fan of our villains. Um, it's kind yeah. of big faceless corporation. Susan Sarandon heads up the company, uh, who is not probably who you think of when you think of like Cord traditional. Industries. Yeah, super su- super villain. You would not think of Susan Sarandon up front. She has a fine job of being dramatic. I think part of what works so well is she's conniving. She's got a smaller frame. Uh, she's placed opposite uh, Raul Max Trujillo, uh, who plays uh, this kind of henchman for her, um, kind of this big bodyguard guy. And she tells him what to do, and he's so much bigger. He, like, he towers over her, towers over, over Jaime, too. Uh, and, and she kind of runs the show um, up until, of course, like... You know, we start talking about super suits, and then suddenly we've got a power dynamic. But but ultimately, like I think Cord is just a little flat. I I I think maybe I would have been more interested if they were dealing with like LexCorp or something, like something that's got a bit of a a bit of a hook to it. And 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 Cord Com- Corporation does actually. It's based on Ted Cord, who is the original Blue Beetle, as as you told me in the movie, like right when we were starting, like, hey, Ted Cord's the OG Blue Beetle. I was like, I don't know what that means, but okay. And then it turns out like. <laughs> He is actually a part of the world that's baked in. And the subtext of that, along with, I think, subtext of a lot of the film, is part of what keeps it interesting. Uh, The movie does not start with, like, a text crawl that says, like, it's the future. We're in Florida. There's this thing. Um, It doesn't do any of that. You just get it all through, like, scene transition. At one point, we see, like, a flyover of, like, the Florida Keys, and you're like, oh, it's, like, really built out and, like, nice. Okay, so we're not in, like modern present day and then at another point you, you see uh, Jaime wearing a, a hoodie that says Gotham Central on the back and you're like oh he went to school in Gotham that's where Batman is but it doesn't like force feed it to you you wouldn't even notice that stuff if you weren't looking for it so it's good at sprinkling little little comic book lore some some engagement for fans and also a, a good quality helping of um, what's the best way to say this I don't know, uh, cult- cultural matter? Uh, Jaime has to cl- has to clarify like four times in the movie that his name is not Jamie. <laughs> it's Jaime. <laughs> and like as somebody who watches that movie, when I, read, when I read about this movie, I definitely read his name as Jamie. And now that I've seen it, I will never pronounce it that way because his character so obviously is not that person. And like that feels really sincere. That feels like a really good way to hang on to like a bit of like culture that, that like I would not pick up on is somebody who's not uh latino latina so uh shout out to them like that felt great yeah Yeah, the 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 cultural element's a huge part of this it incorporates uh spanish hispanic uh culture a lot a lot of this movie is in spanish a lot of it does not have subtitles you just kind of you you get what's going on based on how uh characters are talking to each other and if you do speak spanish you're you're gonna get in on a lot. There's a lot of in jokes. There's a lot of just cultural references. You're gonna get a little bit more. Um, I also wanted to mention we were talking about cast. Uh, Jenny Cord, who, who's uh, played by um, Bruno Bruna Marquezine. Mar- Mar- uh, she's the the daughter of the lost Ted Cord, and she's like heir to the to the the throne of Cord Industries. Uh, she's she also kind of becomes a sidekick. She's kind of a weak paint by number character I, that's the part of this movie that works the least are our, our, our villain kind of character and she's not a villain but she's kind of thrown in the mix is as, as well that, that's probably the weakest part of the movie are are like i said the the villain arc yeah. the antagonists yes yeah kind of kind of all of all of your evil in the film is a little little two-tone like little flat not that interesting um additionally i i think some of the 
I think a lot of times the movie trades comedy for uh, what would otherwise be something like horror. Uh, <laughs> the Blue Beetle tra- transformation scene uh, when when Jaime first gets grabbed by this thing is like horrifying. Like he he like his like skin is being melted off. Like it's it's wild how <laughs> how how good the CGI is for it. I was I was really impressed. Like oh god, like it's like, it's like something you see at like Keanu Reeves' Constantine. Like he's like thrown up against the ceiling or like Exorcist. Um, and his family is like wailing like he's got a bug on him. Like it like it's so <laughs> it's it's so misplaced. And the family sometimes is taken really seriously and really sincere, and other times they're like dumb as a box of rocks and i think it works a lot for the comedy but it makes a lot of the home stuff feel flat like when 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 things are getting serious for jaime and he's like hey i gotta fly to the other side of the world and go do some justice right like i'm the blue beetle um they're like don't forget your lunch like yeah you know like i don't know <laughs> like, I, don't, I don't expect it to be real serious but just like it, it felt like it couldn't pick like one way or another, like the script was fighting the screenplay or something. And, and it ends up leading to a lot of George Lopez eye roll moments, but most mostly <laughs> good. I think, yeah, my, 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 my largest issues with the movie are just that it's just a little too paint by numbers. Like if you, you could guess this plot, like if you, if you've seen a few superhero movies, it's not very complicated. Um, and I think that leads to people not buying tickets, which sucks. Like, and that leads to people not going to see it. And then people writing off blue beetle as a hero. I like blue beetle. Like I like blue beetle. I like Jaime. I want to see more of this story. Um, I hope they get more. I, I, we got to see how it does at the box office, I guess. Right. So that's a big question is how does this play into the larger DCEU? Um, this is again, part of the old guard of the, uh, Walter Hamada, uh, films that, that were greenlit, um, before James Gunn came over. James Gunn has inherited this film and one more, um, Aquaman in the Lost Kingdom. He's got to see those through before he kind of officially takes over. So luckily this movie kind of stands on its own. It doesn't tie into any kind of larger universe. You you could do more movies just a blue beetle or you could use this as an origin story and put them in future films we don't really know what they're going to do but i i do like the flexibility of not trying to like force them into the larger universe and that, that i think that makes it more flexible for you to reuse the character yeah and, and i i'm looking forward to them reusing him like i said i think it's i think it's good james gunn came out and said hey uh we are going to be using this property going forward the cast is good new new kids great blue beetle's a fun hero like i i'd look forward to seeing a blue beetle too or uh, doing the marvel thing and having him just show up in another movie right have him join the justice society of america or something like that'd be rad like I would love to see Blue Beetle like just show up as as a part of like a hero squad or when somebody needs help. Oh, who are we gonna call? And then like Blue Beetle comes out of the world work. I'd be like, hell yeah, man, love Blue Beetle. Like that's great. Like solid, solid. Uh, just boy, for two hours it ends up feeling long. Like it's a shame. I, I I wish I didn't feel that way. I think they just they played it too safe, which is probably not a bad move in in, in the environment of superhero movies. But boy, if you suffer if you suffer superhero fatigue, I think you're gonna feel it. Uh, when you're watching Blue Beetle, because that's that's where I started to feel it. Maybe I'm cynical. Maybe I'm jaded. Maybe it's Maybelline. Andy, any other thoughts before recommendations? I think I'm ready. Andy, would you recommend Blue Beetle? I would, but I would say save it for streaming. Um, unfortunately, it lacks the the total polish of a theatrical film. You know, it was originally intended for HBO Max, and some of, like I said, some of it is really highly polished, and a lot of it is not. I think for most people, unless you're a diehard comic book fan, 
you're fine just just waiting till till it's available on stream and uh you know it hasn't had a great box office start so it'll probably be available uh pretty soon but that that said i did enjoy it i did have fun i would rewatch this like over something like the flash or quantum mania i'm excited to see where they can take this character or where they might put him in in, in future films so i would say recommend but save it for streaming I think I'm in the same boat. I, I like this movie just fine. I just wish it was like a half hour shorter. And by God, if I, if I, if I could have any one change, I'd, I'd say flip the plot around. Like do do something a bit more interesting. I kept thinking when I was watching this, like number one, I feel like I've just, I've just seen this story one too many times. And number two, I kept thinking how interesting the origin story for Tony Stark is in Iron Man. Like, weapons manufacturer CEO is overseas testing weapons for the army when he's attacked by terrorists put in a cave and forced to design a weapon of mass destruction for them and then he turns it around and like just like interesting and complex and different right and that was a long time ago we were watching Iron Man and now we're here watching Blue Beetle and it just feels too rote like just feels too together it bums me out I think Blue Beetle 2 or whatever they do next will not have that problem. I think they're going to learn from this. Like going forward, I like where we're at. I like Blue Beetle. Would recommend. Just save it for streaming. Yeah, and if you get bored, whatever. Like throw a little laundry in, you'll be fine. Uh, overall, Blue Beetle, <laughs> thumbs up. Not not bad time at the movies. Uh, but when we talk about the movies, there's some exciting things always coming around the corner. Always new things coming out. So this week, we're excited to talk about some new trailers, some upcoming things. Andy, what do we uh, what do we call this? It's time for the trailer park. So our, our first film we're going to be, be doing through, our first film is called Maestro, and this is the biopic of a uh, musician conductor, Leonard Bernstein, uh, who was a conductor of the New York Philharmonic and also wrote, uh, you know, he wrote the, the music to West Side Story. You know, some of these, he's, he's a hallmark American figure. Uh, his biopic has been both directed and starring Bradley Cooper. This has been a passion project of his for, for several years. He's really wanted to do this. We see this trailer, him opened with him and his wife played by Carey Mulligan and kind of a montage through the years. It has a very classic look. Like it reminded me of things like Citizen Kane, like those 1940s black and white movies, a lot like some of it's in color, some of it's in black and white. It has a very kind of nostalgia look to it. Um, I'm in, I'm intrigued. And as a musician, I'm definitely excited for this. Yeah, I think Maestro looks like good stuff. You know, for a while I was curious about this movie because this is Bradley Cooper's project after A Star Is Born, and I thought, okay, well, whatever he does next, um, it's going to get greenlit and immediately get attention. Not only did that movie get nominated for a handful of Academy Awards, uh, the song got catapulted to like the Billboard Top 100. Lady Gaga had a lot of success off of it. Like, I thought, okay, whatever Cooper's doing next is going to be an immediate hit, and he made this, and it hung out in limbo for a while. Like, nobody jumped on the script which is weird. And I, I remember talking about it on the show a while ago and then like months and months ago and, and just being like, what's going on with Maestro? <laughs> like, why, why is nobody touching this? It has had some odd uh, PR since it came out uh, regarding prosthetics. I don't know if it's worth talking about on the show because it seems to have already blown over, but um, I don't know why this movie took a while to get picked up, but it's here now. Netflix has it. I think it's a great get for Netflix. It looks like a good movie. I don't know. I'd like, I, I'm not really familiar with the story of, uh, of, of, of Liberace, Leonard Bernstein. So like maybe it'll be great. <laughs> we'll see. What's, what's uh, crazy is yeah. when I, when I was in uh, in graduate school and uh, my, my teacher, Sam Palafian 
personally knew Leonard Bernstein and would like refer to him as Lenny. And he had all these crazy stories of like, because he played with him at the New York Philharmonic and like helped helped him write music and things like that. So it's uh, it's an amazing character and it's interesting to see him uh, brought to life. Yeah, our next film that we need to talk about is this trailer for a movie called Anatomy of a Fall. Um, this is from Justin Trier. I, I've never seen anything from this individual. This film is Swedish, I think. French. Uh, it's French. Oh, my gosh. A woman is suspected of her husband's murder, and their blind son faces a moral dilemma as their sole witness. Uh, it's a bit of a simple trailer. A woman goes on a walk. Uh, comes home. Her husband has taken a spill out of their balcony and is dead in their driveway. She's horrified, calls the cops, and suddenly she's suspect number one, right? It's a story you might have seen, heard the setup for before, um, but it looks interesting because it looks dramatic, right? And it's, it's, it's a foreign film. I don't know anybody in it, and it looks like something new from a director I've never seen. Uh, I think it's exciting. What do you think of Anatomy of a Fall? So this was the Palme d'Or winner, at uh, the Canvas Film Festival, which is the top prize there, that would have been um, that would have been the thing for me to open with when I started my yeah. brief summary. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's yeah, it's okay. that's the only reason we're talking about it is it's it's a big deal. We've heard lots of Oscar buzz, especially for uh, the lead actress Sandra Hewler, who was also in another film that's been getting a, not, a lot of buzz called uh, Zone of Interest, which uh, we haven't seen any trailers or anything yet. Yeah, that's it's a Holocaust film. We'll be talking about that later. In the in the year, uh, but she's in in these two films. Uh, this looks really incredible. Like it, it it's it's a it's a whodunit. It's a courtroom drama. There's probably going to be lots of other layers about what it's really about. Um, man, it, it it looks really good. It looks looks exciting to me. Um, and yeah, I'm I'm definitely excited to see this. It comes out yeah, mid I'm- mid October. Excited to see it too. This feels like one of those joints that'll get nominated for an Oscar, and and everybody will look at it like, "What's that movie? I've never heard of it." And we'll be over here like, "We know, we saw it. We'll cover it on the show. Don't worry." Next up is Rebel Moon, which is the new big space epic from uh, director Zack Snyder, uh, infamous, famous uh, at this point. This is from Netflix. Uh, I've I've heard a lot of uh, buzz about about this. This movie kind of looks like a whole lot of sci-fi fantasy stuff that you've seen before. It looks like a mixture of Dune and Star Wars and Game of Thrones. Uh, we don't really get a whole lot of plot outside of there's uh, this kind of wonder child, the, the chosen one uh, played by Sophia Butella, who's going to liberate who knows what. We get a lot of battle scenes, people in space, people in weird uh, uniforms, this is part one of two, and this comes out on December 22nd on Netflix. Uh, I'll probably watch this since it's on Netflix, but um, it's kind of all over the place. It reminds me a lot of the Sucker Punch trailer, right? Like, just all visuals and vibes. That's the whole thing. You watch it, and you're like, I don't know what's happening, but it looks like there's a lot going on. We're on snow planet, we're on desert planet, lava planet, like who knows where we're at. This may all even be the same planet. I don't even know. There's a bunch of characters, there's fighting, there's stunts, there's a train heist, there's a gunfight, like all kinds of stuff. Snyder is very good at making epic stuff, right? And making it look epic. And I totally get it. But I was a little bummed with Army of the Dead. I didn't think a lot of that movie. I know a lot of people did. A lot of people were really warm on it, but it just felt really flat and dry. Uh, so I'm hoping this feels like it's got a bit more juice. Interestingly, also, as Andy pointed out, this is a double, double, double feature. There's two of these, right? That's the deal. 
Yeah, uh, part one is uh, December 22nd. Part two, The Scar Giver, which is a good, actually a good title. Uh, April 19th. Um, so April. just f- four, four months apart. Yeah, I should say, full disclosure, the first time I saw this trailer on Twitter, uh, earlier today when it <laughs> dropped, I made it about halfway through watching it before I yawned and kept scrolling, which is terrible. I should probably watch the whole trailer, right? But like, it's, there's something about it. It does, it does look a little... I don't know. It reminds me of like the Mandalorian, Dune, Star Wars, right? Like it, it just looks a little samey, and I hope it isn't. Um, I hope it's something new because it. it I, don't, I don't. I don't. I can't quite put my finger on it. I don't know if they're like shooting in the volume by what Disney uses or what it is. If it's just all the CGI, like I'm, I'm just. I don't know. I feel like I've seen so many like epic, epic space features that have ended up washing out. So hopefully this is something. Uh, really special. And if it's, you know, like anything Snyder does, I'm sure it will be. Um, with that, we need to talk about God, our next movie. And then we got another movie after that. That bonus review is really <laughs> haunting me, Andy. I shouldn't I shouldn't have committed to it. But it's fine. We'll get to it. First off, uh, what, what's Bridge our next too far. <laughs> I know. Old Boy. So we actually reviewed this on the show over 100 episodes ago. But uh, this year is the 20th anniversary re-release of Park Chan-wook's uh, masterpiece, old boy which um i don't know how much spoilers we're gonna we're gonna do uh because it it is old but it stars um choi min sik as odesu who we meet early on in a police station (laughs) where he's raving drunk he's out of control a friend picks him up and in a dark and stormy night he is kidnapped out of no nowhere and put in this hotel room uh where he is to stay he's doomed to stay for the next 15 years he is never told why he was uh, imprisoned, and then uh, he is mysteriously let go after 15 years, and he is not told why he has been let go. And so he has to spend the next five, he has five days to figure out who imprisoned him, and more importantly, why they imprisoned him. Um, he also runs into the kind of this ingenue named Mito, who helps him on, on his quest. This movie's about revenge, about vengeance, also about isolation and loneliness. And uh, this was the film that turned me on to Korean cinema way back in 2003, 2004, long before Parasite came around. I like to be that guy that's like, I was in the K- Korean cinema <laughs> before Parasite. <laughs> um, yeah. But this was the one, that, I mean, it, it's, it's an incredible mystery. Uh, it's also incredibly violent. This was during this uh, move, they call it the Asia extreme movement where there was this really extreme violence in, in a lot of Asian uh, cinema, way more than what we, we get uh, kind of in the U.S., um, incredible masterpiece. So we're going to talk about. It. We went to see it in the theater at Alamo Draft House, which I've never seen this in the theater. Incredible uh, to see it on, on the big screen. Zach, what's your take? Because this is only your second time seeing it. Yeah, second time seeing Old Boy. Um, I'm very pleased to say I, I like it more on second rewatch, and I already liked it plenty the first time. Yeah, we we talked about it way back on episode 105, which is crazy. Yeah, I've been over a hundred episodes away from that now. Um, but first time through old boy is a little confusing. I wouldn't quite hold it up to something like primer, but like, if you're not paying attention, if you get up and leave your seat for 10 minutes, you're, you're going to miss something in old boy. Like there's a lot of intricate details as our lead is trying to uncover this mystery of who captured him and why has he been locked away and why is he suddenly free now? Uh, And ultimately not only who did it, but why like that. And that's one of the things that really stood out to me on rewatch. Like there's a right in act two, uh, our our hero finds the villain and the villain says, no, 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 you, you haven't figured it all out yet, though. Like, that's the fun part. Um, 
and and I love the way the movie pulls you in with that, right? Yeah, like it's not it's not just about finding the person who did this to you. It's finding out why and why you and why 15 years and why did they let you go and why did they let you fight, you know, like fascinating. And it all leads to like this incredibly, incredibly vivid climax uh, that is so gripping. Like just you can't look away like you could hear a pin drop in the movie theater. It's so quiet. Nobody's getting up and going to the bathroom. Everybody's glued to the screen for the third act of Old Boy. And it's so interesting. Like, it's a movie that just comes way out of left field. It, like, the closest thing I think I could pa- compare it to is something like a, like a Saw movie. But, like, one of the early good <laughs> ones. Like, not one of the later ones where it's, like, torture porn. Like, probably, like, the first one where it's, like, why are these people locked in this room? What's happening? A whodunit where you're, like, captivated by the setting almost more so than, like, the reason. Uh, fascinating movie. And I'm excited to talk about it again. Yeah, I know we've talked about it before. I don't, I don't think we need to talk about spoilers, right? Like, eh, we could, okay. but, like, fair, I don't know. fair enough, fair enough, fair yeah. enough. I, I think one of the things that grabs me is that the mystery is so good. And, you know, you get clues that get closer, but a lot of times a new clue will cause more questions than, than raise more questions than it answers. And it just gets more and more com- complex all the way up almost to, to the very end. And that's something that I think is really hard for a film to do is to kind of continue continuing to ramp up uh, tension and to ramp up the questions and to ramp up the complexity uh, of the mystery. Um, and the, the pacing is so good because he, the first act is so good. And this is the thing I pay attention a lot to because a lot of times first acts can be kind of lame because they're trying to set everything up. But um, that's where he's in prison and you get this great montage uh, of him kind of training, of him surviving in this hotel room f- for a long time. And I, it's almost as good as a lot of film's second acts, but the pacing works so good. But the mystery, I'm, I'm talking about everything right now, but the mystery is, is it just does such a good job of, of keeping you hooked the entire time. Yeah, uh, I was also really interested in a lot of the small details that come out of the 4K remaster. Um, The remaster looks great, by the way, I should say. If you have the opportunity to see it, you should. If not, I'm sure it'll be coming to streaming or something. You should absolutely check it out. Pulling trailer footage for this to just kind of put in front of the video version of the show. um, It is hard to find good footage that looks good of old boy. Cause it's a movie from 2003. Like the best I could find was like a fan cam trailer. Somebody made in 720p with like Marilyn Manson music on top of it. And then there's like the one 4k remaster trailer that's out. And like, it looks brilliant. Like, man, the colors are vibrant. You can see like, even with the film grain on it, like you just see so much more going on. In fact, I, a lot of the sets really popped out this time. A lot of the simple patterns, right? The purple umbrella, um, like a lot of that stuff really has more volume in the 4K and you notice like a lot a lot more i don't know smaller things like you know you notice the way like Odaisu's like needle pushes through his skin when he starts tattooing himself and you notice a lot of the CGI, which I had not noticed previously at all. Like, I, I couldn't believe how much more CGI I noticed in the movie um, when when he starts having visions of ants crawling out of his skin, um, which sounds really graphic. But in the 4K, you can actually see, like, it's a full CGI arm shot. I figured it was a prop yeah. arm or, like, his real arm. And they'd be like, no. Or, like, when he's trying to get out and he just, just manages to poke a chopstick through, like, the exterior wall brick and, like, the brick falls out in the rain, like, light comes through, like, CGI. The rain's real, but, like, they, it, but, like, at the time, 
in the older version, I didn't know. It just looked it just looked practical, looked great. Like it goes to show like just how well put together this movie was for two thousand three, that they could hide tricks like that, like hide hide the illusion of the movie making in there. Um, and it's kind of a delight to see now, right? You could see it's like a stop motion movie. You could kind of see how it was made. You see the you see the imperfections a little bit, and like I think that makes it a, a really good experience for somebody revisiting it. Yeah, it, it's sorry. There's so much. <laughs> there's so much to say. The um, <laughs> I yeah, the, the, the effects. Like, I, I think. I think the 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 effects age mostly pretty well. There, there are some kind of weird CGI or background shots that you can kind of you can see the seams more. Um, but like I said, you're so engrossed in the story and and our characters uh that you don't that you don't care about about the flaws um i wanted to k- kind of talk about our other main character our villain lee woo jin who's played by uh yuji tae and nice we meet him we meet him about halfway uh through the film and, and we realize that like you have found the man but you have not found the reason um and you know there's all these conundrums where he said well you can kill me now but you'll never find out why you were, you were imprisoned and uh he's kind of like he's kind of like Batman and the Joker, like he's uh, Lee Woo Jin is pulling all the strings. Every every time you think you're you're a step ahead, he's been a step ahead of you the whole time. And every time you do something, he wanted you to do it, and he wanted you to find this thing that connects to that. And and it's some real like you know pro planning, uh, Joker level uh, of string pulling. And but he's also very sympathetic. He you don't you don't ever think what he did did. To, to uh, Odesu is is right, but you you empathize him because again one of the big themes is loneliness. It's personified mostly by Odesu being uh, trapped in in and imprisoned for fifteen years. That's the most uh, kind of obvious one. But uh, Li Wu Jin is also incredibly lonely, and what he does is he he watches Odesu for these fifteen years. He watches him be trapped, and it's kind of what entertains him. He's not real sure what to do once he's he's set him free. Yeah, like I. I... The, our villain reminded me this time, uh, now having seen it, he reminded me of uh, Robert Pattinson's Neil in Christopher Nolan's Tenet, right? Like incredibly well-dressed individual, mysterious, uh, but tall, dark, handsome, always seemingly ahead of the curve. Yes. And and like he plays that character really well. He's humble. When he laughs, you can't tell if it's a real laugh or not. Like he's, he seems kind of inauthentic. But ultimately, like a very flawed individual, um, he's got a lot of problems, and he is not normal by any means. He's an incredibly, incredibly twisted person. Um, and I like this kind of central theme. Uh, Odesu says a few times. He says, "If I, even if I'm a beast, should I not be allowed to live?" Sounds a little strange, but it really extends not only to our villain but also to our hero. Uh, I forgot that that uh, old boy opens on a flashback. Um, it opens on uh, Odesu uh, getting arrested for being drunk, right? Like, <laughs> and he's a normal citizen. And when his buddy uh, goes and pays his bail and gets him out, or I don't know, however that however that works in a country I don't live in, uh, whatever. Uh, he goes and talks uh, on the phone to his uh, uh, payphone to his daughter. Hey, I'm coming home. His friend hops on the phone a minute. Camera pulls back. He's gone. He's he's missing. And then boom, we're in the room. He's been, he's been kidnapped. Um, and I forgot like how much of a terror Odesu is in that opening scene. Like he's such <laughs> yeah. a he's such a dick. He's drunk he's and he's control. on the floor kicking around and screaming, and other guys are like, This guy, like, he's such a mess. And later in the movie, he's so like he's he's unleashed and he's vicious. 
Um, but there's still a little bit of that in him. And he says, you know, a few points that like, is, is the old me still there or is it gone? And it's interesting. It's interesting how this film like manages to hold up a lens in between like the past and the, and, and the future, the old and the new, right? To say like, like what, what does it mean to be something then versus something now? Is it different or is it the same? You know, it's got a lot of, it's got a lot to say about, about like a person's past and what that means for who they are now and whether or not they can change or if they even should. Um, and all that comes out on round two, I think when you get a little bit more time to step back from like trying to just pick up the plot as it goes, you know, and like what's going on and figure out the mystery, um, to really simmer and really just soak in the flavors, you know, of, of, of what old boys presenting so much of it plays better. I think on second rewatch might, might, might be better for, for round two than round one, I think. Yeah, like I said, the, the mystery is really pretty complicated, and there's a lot of complicated. There's a, a lot said in dialogue. There's a lot of names to remember, um, and like the, I mean, they're Korean names, so they may not be very familiar. Uh, but this reminds me of the. I, I want to get into the action, but also you know, Odesu is not when we meet him. He's not a good man. He's super drunk. It turns out he's he's a womanizer. He has a wife and and kid. But no, that has nothing to do with with why he's been in prison, which is so fascinating. Because you want to, he he's he is searching through his whole life. Who have I wronged? Who is upset with me? Um, and even though he's not really a good man, a good person, that's not <laughs> has nothing to do with why he's he's in prison. But it kind of feels like maybe he does deserve it in a way. Um, but I wanted to get into into the action. That was one of the big things about this movie is. Really incredible action, very visceral. This famous, famous uh, long shot in the hallway. Big, long action scenes, like three minutes. Took several days uh, to film. Um, but we get really brutal action. Uh, Odesu, learn, he kind of learns to fight on his own when he's trapped in the hotel room. He watches TV, he watches boxers, he watches fighters. He kind of trains himself, exercises a lot. And then when he gets out, he's like ready to fight and that's one there's a great scene where he said you know it does 15 years of, of imaginary training like actually mean anything and it turns out it, it does and he goes on this brutal rampage to get information that's part of how he's working his way up uh through through the mystery one of the famous scenes is uh where he's ta he's pulling someone's teeth out with with a hammer and it does not shy away it's very graphic shows you all of it um and that's just the start of all the carnage in act two which is even ramped up even more in Act Three. I was really charmed by this uh, post post show interview that they ran. We saw this at Alamo Draft House, and there's an interview uh, that Park Chan Wook did uh, with Nicholas Winding Refn, uh, director of Drive and Only God Forgives and Neon Demon. Um, it's definitely part of a press junket. I saw I. It, I saw another interview with Park Chan-wook uh, for uh, Letterboxd, and he's sitting in the exact same setting and lighting and clothes. <laughs> so like, it was definitely just a one-day thing when he sat down and did interviews with people. But regardless, uh, they, they, got a, they spent about 10 minutes on Old Boy talking about it and, and where it came from and, and how it's different from the original manga. And one of the things I thought was really fascinating regarding that long-take action sequence is that uh, Park Chan-wook explained he hates shooting action. 
He was like, it's way too much coverage. It takes forever to shoot it. I don't like doing it, you know? And he wanted Old Boy to be bigger and, and more bombastic and like big editing and big motion and big gore and big nudity, big violence. Like he wanted all of that in, in Old Boy because his previous film, uh, what is it, Sympathy from Mr. Vengeance? Goodbye, yeah. Mr. Vengeance? Uh, did not have those things. It was much simpler and much more down to earth. And it's funny, I think a lot of Park Chan-wook's work now is in that vein. It's it's smaller, but old boy, he wanted to to really step on the gas and go further. And I think part of the reason, like some of that <laughs> violence is so visceral, and they just show it all, is because he just didn't want to shoot cutaways. He was like, whatever, like I don't care. <laughs> like, we'll yeah. just, just just do the damn thing, you know? Like just put Pull it on screen. Teeth. It's fine. Yeah, it it makes it feel really. Uh, like it's got a really sharp edge, you know, like, and it, it makes it feel like it's coming from a place of like genuine, uh, not frustration, but, but yeah, like it, it's coming from a, a, a director who's younger and he's hungry and he's like, I want to do some hard stuff. It reminds me of like Spielberg making Temple of Doom, like making like dark twisted stuff that like, I don't even know if he's ever really gone back to. I haven't seen all of his film filmography, but I feel like Old Boy's got to be one of the more violent of his work, right? I mean, my God, like there's there's a lot. Well, this was not not to mention, of course, just kind of the twisted nature of of the plot. Well, it's interesting because Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance has, like, it might be less violent, but it's still incredibly violent. Like again, it was part of a whole movement of films in that area, that mid uh, mid to late two thousands, where they were taking the violence to extreme. Uh, the third film in this anthology trilogy, Lady Vengeance, is equally as as violent as this one. It it's not really any, any less. So it it was a whole movement that all the Korean directors were were kind of of doing it at the uh, Takashi Miike was doing it as as well. I can never remember his big film that kind of came out at the time. He had a couple that were in that vein, probably even more violent uh, than. Uh, this one, but it's definitely everything in that era was, man, it, it was going o- over the the top. And it's interesting that he said that about the first film, Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance, because it is, I remember it being <laughs> equally as violent or just incredibly violent. Yeah. Overall, like I think Old Boy is a great watch the first time. But yeah, like I said, I'm 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 charmed by how much I enjoyed it on round two. There, there was a little part of me that was like. Okay, you're seeing a movie you've seen before, right? It's two hours. Uh, you got to drive over to the theater and drive back. Like, there's a little part of you that's like, you know, I'm I'm seeing the same thing again. But the best art is the kind of art you can revisit time and time again. And every time you walk away feeling different, every time you walk away being a little bit of a different person, and every time you think, God, how did I not see it this way before? Right? Like, that's the the best art in the world to me. And like, I can I can say very confidently, Old Boy is one of those features. Like, it's just it, there's just something new to it. Like, there's a, there's a new shine, and the 4K like does a great job bringing that out. Fantastic work all around. A solid remaster. Um, overall, I was really pleased with watching it again. Andy, any other thoughts? Uh, Last thing I want to touch on is the score. Um, love the score to this film. It's it's a big part of m- music music cues. Certain musical sounds uh, kind of trigger things in, in the film. In in people in the film, it, it's kind of like hypnosis is a big uh, thing in it. Uh, incredible score. It's part of my very long playlist of of film scores. Uh, it's a, and it's a mixture of like synthetic keyboard sounds as, as well as in-person orchestras. Uh, one of my favorite parts of the movie is the score. 
Yeah, the score is rock solid. And also, uh, we were we were talking about after the movie whether or not Alamo just plays their films loud. But for what it's worth, like I I really like the level, the volume, the volume. I should say the score was coming out of this. I'm, I'm hoping that's just what's attached to the to the film, like, and that's just how loud it is if you buy the Blu-ray or whatever, because um, it sounds great. I, I definitely will probably inevitably this will come to, to physical media. I think I might have to scoop up a copy of of the 4K 4K old boy. It, it's really good stuff. Yeah, anyway, I, I will that, too. So, yeah. uh, what, last thing I have the I have the DVD of this. I still, as any proud cinephile would say, the subtitles are a little bit different in this version. Um, I just noticed some small changes, mo- mostly for just translate. I'm probably translated better or trying to get translations across a, l- a little bit, but they are just slightly different enough for me uh, to notice. Um, so yeah. that was interesting to see. That that was interesting. I was surprised when you pointed that out. You're like, actually, slightly different translations. It's like, that's unique. So, yeah, a little something for everybody, even if you're like a hardcore, got the DVD fan. Andy, would you recommend Old Boy? Absolutely. With huge content warnings, it's an extremely violent <laughs> film. It deals with themes of revenge, vengeance, loneliness, isolation all those things uh it is a classic of the genre it's the film that catapulted park chan wook into international kind of renown uh he had he had found success with his uh an earlier film called uh justice security academy something like that but that that made him a big name in in south korea old boy made him a big name all over the the world in in film circles so uh Highly recommend, big favorite. Catch it in theaters if if you can, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, old Boy's Delight. I think you should totally watch it if you have the ability to watch it in theater. Joint Security Area. That was his, that was his movie that that, that put him Thank put you. him on the map. Which I also haven't seen. We should probably check that out. Um, but yeah, Old Boy's great. Like we talked about on the show before, we've talked about it since. Uh, we might even be covering the thirtieth, right? We'll see where we're at in a decade. But for what it's worth, like Old Boy's great. If you're a fan, please go see it in theaters. Do, do your best to go see it in theaters if possible. And if not, keep an eye out for wherever it comes out. Uh, the 4K looks great. It's a great looking remaster. Very pleased with it. Uh, yeah, old boy. Thumbs up. Two thumbs up all around. Solid, solid off script seal of approval. I should put that right there on the 4K uh, UHD. One more movie to talk about before we wrap up the show this week. I know we're running a little long on time, but I watched this uh, just, just last weekend and I wanted to talk about it. I've seen some buzz about it online. Andy has not seen it. Uh, but I'm going to do my best to explain what it is. Uh, the movie is Amazon Prime, uh, Red, White, and Royal Blue. So, Red, White, and Royal Blue is the story of Alex Claremont Diaz. He's the first son of the President of the United States. Very exciting. First son, all right? Like, he's ba- basically American royalty. Uh, and Alex has a small but budding rivalry uh, with a prince of England, uh, Henry. Um, so son of the president, son of, uh, I think it's the king. And that's yeah, the king in this movie, uh, uh, Henry. Uh, they both don't really like each other. Uh, but then at a social gathering, uh, the two of them accidentally have a, have a, have a bit, of, bit of a run in, a bit of a fight. Alex gets a little tipsy and tells him, you know, I don't like you. The two of them get in a fight and they end up having this whole cake spill on them. Everybody sees it. It's a huge PR scandal all over the world, right? Like son of the pres- son, son of the U.S. president, son of the uh, uh, son of the king are fighting. Uh, the two of them have to go on a like 
I don't know, a couple week like PR junket to try to be like, no, we're cool. We, we, we hang out, you know, like we're great. Things are good. It was funny that that happened. We, they, you know, it was intentional. Try to try to kind of shape it around being cool. Um, but then on the road, they suddenly start to figure out that like, they're actually pretty cool with one another. Like they're actually, they're actually pretty neat when they get to know each other. And then uh, surprise, uh, they're super cool with each other and they start a relationship. They're gay. Gay boys. I don't believe it. Right. Uh, a pro- pro- prominently gay story reminds me of bros when we covered that on the show. Right. Like not the kind of thing we see often. Uh, and red, white and blue gets surprisingly spicy. Not red, white and royal blue. Not as spicy as I figured it would. I, I thought I was going to be getting like Game of Thrones level nudity. Not quite. You do see a couple of butts. But otherwise, like these two guys are surprisingly charming. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no shaft lots of butts like it, it is what it is not even lots but uh our two leads uh taylor's taylor's a car perez uh and nicholas galitzin are a delight uh we're gonna get to see them more especially nicholas galitzin in bottoms uh which comes out this friday in select theaters i'm hoping we can watch it for the show andy um that's that that's that uh, uh kind of rachel indie starring rachel indie darling Sano and yes and ioetta beery from uh the bear and uh tmnt she's the new april o'neill uh the two of them play high schoolers who start a fight club they're gay high schoolers who start a fight club and nicholas galitzin is a very american football jock in that movie and in this movie he's a prince of england uh thick accent seems to play both really well he's been getting some attention so excited to see what he is but uh, Red, White, and Royal Blue, that is the movie based on the book. Andy didn't see it, so I should give Andy an opportunity to, I don't know, jump in and ask something, or let me breathe a second and I can figure out where I'm talking about next. Andy, what do you think so far? Are you on board? So, yeah, so I heard a little bit about this uh, coworker who was actually talking to me. Um, and uh, this is so this is based on a novel or a, a written work uh, of some sort. And there, there's been... Uh, it's a good adaptation, but it's not a great adaptation from what I what I've heard. There's a uh, you know just a lot of nuance kind of left out because sometimes you have to cut for time. Um, but overall, it, it it has been. Uh, I think I think fans of the book are happy with it. So I'm gonna say uh, it's definitely based on a book. Uh, my beau Christine loves that book. By the way, uh, she's got a few copies of it. She'll tell you all about it if you ask her. Uh, so she was excited for the movie. That was the reason I ended up watching it. And at first I was like, man, two hours long. Okay. Like this is <laughs> this be a little rough, but I can say confidently, while I don't think red, white and Royal blue is necessarily like cinematic in its presentation. It falls perfectly in line with any like Hallmark romance or Netflix holiday romance you've seen. It, it like skewers that medium. Perfect. It reminded me of a lot of those cheesy Netflix, uh, Hollywood features like, uh, God, I can't, you know, now that I'm here, I can't even remember the name of them. There's a couple of them. There's like a, a, a knight for a prince and a, a queen and snow queen. And I'll remember after the movie and after the show and kick myself for not saying them. But um, it's definitely like made for TV, but in the best way. It's charming and it's light. Like, yeah, it's a lot of sets, a lot of softbox lighting, um, but surprisingly witty script. Uh, Casey McQuiston, the writer, helped helped put together the film, which is always, I think, a lift. If you're writing a film based on a book, she kind of helped adapt it. And from what I understand, it's a pretty solid adaptation. Nary a few uh, uh, kind of interesting things. But I did want to talk a minute about our cast. Uh, Taylor Zakar Perez as Alex uh, and Nicholas Galitzian as Henry are really great. I've never seen either of them in anything. They're both really great. I'm looking forward to seeing them in more. 
Um, they, they, I, I was, I was watching this and thinking, who are you going to be in the Marvel universe? Who are you going to get? <laughs> who are you, you two going to get scooped up as? Right. Because you're, you're, you're both going to go on to do other things. I would imagine, like both really solid. Um, Alex uh, actually is uh, like a bit of a firecracker, not very, not very well buttoned up, but passionate. He's political uh, and actually gets involved doing politics in Texas, uh, a la Beto O'Rourke. If you're a Texan, it looks a lot like him uh, in the movie. In movie, he's got like the button up with the sleeves rolled up and the one button down, like he's doing his thing, campaigning or whatever. Um, he is a first timer, never actually been in a gay relationship. Whereas, uh, Henry, of course, uh, who's very buttoned up and very posh and very prim and very proper, uh, has been in a gay relationship before and kind of explains how things work, uh, you know, and, and, and they, 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 they end up doing their own thing. But what's interesting is both of them end up coming out to their respective parents. Uh, Alex coming out to his uh, presidential mom, I should say, president's a woman in this one. Oh, snap. Uh, who's played by Uma Thurman, who I have not seen in a movie in a really long time, uh, especially outside of a Tarantino production. She's got this, like, buttery southern drawl accent that didn't really work for me, but has been getting a lot of praise online from fans. Like, they, they're like, oh, my God, Uma Thurman's great. All right, yeah, you, you guys got it. What do I know? Uh, he comes out to her, and she's like, Really? Oh, that's wild. Okay, cool. Well, you know, <laughs> be your own person. Be safe. Do we need to talk about condoms, right? Like, meanwhile, Henry is like absolutely cannot cannot be gay. He's he's a prince of England, right? Like that is not an option. He is royalty, and this is his whole life, and that's what everything is. Uh, so you do get some good good something in the third act. I actually like that the movie kind of steps off of Alex being the subject in Act Three and really steps onto Henry. It gives the relationship something robust. But I'm also satisfied to say not only has this movie done well on Amazon Prime, but uh, the director said they wanted to do more. I think Casey McQuiston wants to do more. She just did this AMA on Reddit where she talked a bunch about um, what she wants to do with the characters. Like It seems like there will likely be more from this because it's been really successful. And I'm pleased to say, like, that's not just because it's a whimsical story. It's because it's, like, functionally a fun project. It's not it's not big cinematic. Like I said, it wouldn't play good in a theater. But, like, on a streamer, it, like, rock solid. Like, they they, they knew exactly what they were aiming for. They, they shot their target and landed it. Um, really comes out great. I was really pleased with it. Uh, I do want to talk a little bit about kind of the script and kind of the acting. But, Andy, any, any thoughts before I jump into it? I know i got to wrap this up. Wait, what? Well, I was just going to say, kind of broad question, what works the best about this movie and what kind of works the least? So I think the thing that works the best is our two leads. Um, At the open, I would not think these two are going to be capable of carrying a compelling relationship. Dude, they totally do. Like, it's bananas how good they are at it. I'm not even sure if, if... either of them are really gay like because they just fall so so well into their characters maybe they both are maybe only one of them is I, I couldn't even tell you I don't know I don't know a lot about the men but what I do know is that the two of them are like shockingly convincing um in their empathy for one another like start like the the plot's real cheesy when you just say it at the top right like the elevator pitch of this movie two 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 people that are basically worldly don't like each other then they fall for one another but they they're star-crossed lovers and they can't be together right sounds like sounds like romeo and juliet but what works is it's surprisingly progressive well i shouldn't say surprisingly it's very progressive uh and it's a good script like the the dialogue's really bouncy comes right out of the book 
uh, when they don't like each other in Act 1, it is like dripping with sarcasm and they can't stand one another. But in Act 2, they kind of warm up and realize, okay, this is the reason we didn't like each other. Now I get it. And in Act 3, they're like really great. And and as people start to figure it out in the administration, like Secret Service, like sees the two of these guys like running into a room together and they don't, you know, they don't say anything, just stand there with sunglasses. And then like when the president's like top advisor played by, God, what is her name? Uh, Sarah Shahi. She's great. She plays Zara. Um, she figures it out. She has like a melt. She has meltdown. She, she ends up like storming into Alex's room one morning when he's supposed to be at a press junket. And she's like, I heard a, a girl in here. Where is she? Where, where is she hiding? And she like opens up the closet and there's the Prince of England and his boxers. And she's like, oh my God, <laughs> this, is the, this is the worst thing that ever happened in the whole world. Like really a delight, like really funny, like surprisingly, surprisingly well put together for what's here. Like it, I feel like it would have been easy to phone this in and kind of do it wrong, but no, like you, they, they very specifically were aiming at kind of the hallmark angle, like the straight to Netflix angle, the like light rom-com that doesn't hurt anybody's feelings. And like, I think it's good. I think, I think that was part of the problem with bros is bros really tried to come out and be big and cinematic. And you actually see the movie and you're like, eh, you can wait for streaming. This isn't actually really anything you need to, you know, you need to go pay $17 for a ticket for. But this is like comes with your Amazon subscription. Like, great. Like, rolls over really well. Recommends the book. I oh, God, I forgot about that. Like, when, at, the, at the opening close, that pops up a little link that's like, hey, <laughs> buy, buy the book here on Amazon. Like, they know what they're doing. Um, and I think that works really good. The thing that doesn't work, I think, like I said, is... is uh, runtime. Look, I, I know we watch a lot of movies on here, and I know it's wrong for me to say two hours is too long for a movie, but like, come Act Three, I was really wondering, like, where's this gonna go? Like, it seems like they've kind of figured it out, and they're kind of gather together, and that's when it rolls into things are not so great over in England. Like, it seems like, seems like, oh, Alex talked to his mom; she's great with that, right? Mad- Madam President has no problem with her son being gay. Uh, the King, however, huge problem. <laughs> <laughs> son being gay we have to hide it this isn't real there's there's a there's a there's a media leak and it, it, it breaking news and people have there's like photos on the front page of the two of them kissing and and the king's like nope nope we're denying all of it none of it's real none of it happened and and there's so there's some back and forth there but um ultimately like i feel really good about saying uh as somebody who'd not read the book as somebody who knows somebody who's read it and likes it a lot but had never really engaged with it like i had a genuinely good time watching it. solid date movie Right, you need something to throw on for a couple hours. You got a, you got a partner who's interested, maybe like throw on Red Ride and Royal Blue. Not a bad time. Funny, surprisingly funny. Couldn't believe how funny it was, but I think that comes from the book. Um, overall, real good. And I should get to recommendations because, like I said, I've been talking about this one too long. Andy hasn't seen it. Don't want to give it too much away from him. Um, so, any other questions, Andy, before I jump into uh, whether or not I'm ready? <laughs> Would I recommend Red Ride and Royal Blue? Yes. Yes, thousand times yes. Yeah, this movie's super fun. I like this movie a lot. I, I don't think it's a bad time. If you have Amazon Prime, throw it on. Throw it on in the background or sit down and watch it, right? Give it a go. You might even want to get the book. It's not a bad time. Red, White, and Royal Blue, good stuff. Can't wait to see uh, these two boys in other projects. Uh, I, also, I should, I know I mentioned it before, but Andy, we should totally go see Bottoms if we can. That movie looks really funny. Yeah, but um, I've heard a lot of buzz about it. I'm, I'm definitely interested to see that. Yeah, yeah. Maybe we can find a, maybe we can find a screen in town running it. Anyway, God, that wraps the show. What are we on? Episode 224 of Off Script. Good Lord. Next week, 225. Big week at the movies. Andy, what are we watching? We are watching, uh, finally, Gran Turismo. 
which was supposed to come out a couple of weeks ago. They delayed it to uh, try to get some more buzz since uh, with the writers and actors strike, uh, there can't be any promotion for films coming out right now. Uh, so it's finally coming out. Uh, this is the race car story about the gamer who becomes a professional race car driver. This uh, stars David Harbour and Orlando Bloom is kind of the racing team uh, that's coming out. It's directed by Neil Blom Blomkamp, uh, director of District 9, among a bunch of other films, but people seem to only remember District 9. And we're going to be taking a look at an indie film called How to Blow Up a Pipeline, which is on Hulu uh, August 24th. This has a little bit of buzz about it. It's about a group of kind of uh, suburban eco terrorists, uh, you know, idealistic uh, environmentalists who, you know, they want to blow up, you know, some infrastructure to kind of prove a point or to, you know, be uh, cause a revolution, something like that. I heard a little bit of buzz about this. That's coming out on on Hulu the the twenty fourth. Uh, definitely excited about how to blow up a pipeline, like indie flick about people doing the wrong thing for the right reasons. Amazing. Can't wait. Like moral conundrum, getting a copy of the anarchist cookbook and making thermite in a bathtub. Like looks great. Can't wait. Sounds fun. Uh, I'm not too stoked on Gran Turismo, man. You remember what I said? Blue Beetle being paid by numbers. There's a final trailer for Gran Turismo. I swear it gives away every single plot beat of that movie. I'm like, why? I just saw the whole mil the whole movie. Why do I got to spend two hours watching a longer version of it? But hopefully Blomkamp's good stuff. I know audience reviews for it are solid. Critic reviews are middling, I think. Uh, I don't know. Hopefully I'm surprised by Gran Turismo. Either way, keep it here on Oscript for more. I'll be talking about it next week on episode 225. Uh, if you like the show today, best way to keep up with is just subscribe. Just subscribe to the show on your favorite platform. We're on Facebook where we live stream the show every Tuesday. We're on YouTube where we're uploading our full videos, individual reviews, this new format we're doing on video. If you want to come check it out, that's where we're out over there. Huge things going on on YouTube. Uh, we're on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartMedia, all the usual places you get your audio podcast. You can check us out there. And of course, we're on Twitter, Instagram, all the usual social media spots. You can follow us over there as well. Leave a rating and review. Comment if you can. Uh, you can mail us, email us at... Uh, at oscarfilmreview.com and you can check out our website oscarfilmreview.com for more exciting interviews things we're doing keep up with us over there and uh, everywhere else as well you can swing it support your boys here at Offscript here on episode 224 and uh, boy that wraps the show from all of us at Offscript the home of Bold Cinema I'm Zach Lewis and I'm Dr. Draper thanks for watching